0: This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, professor of sport management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, I am joined by current scout for the Utah Jazz, Brian Palga. For the past two decades, Brian has worked as a scout with three NBA teams and as the general manager for the G League's Austin Spurs. In this episode, Brian talks about the role that scouts play in assisting the front office with player identification, the draft, and potential trades. He also discusses the past to becoming a scout in the NBA and the skills needed to be successful. You can learn more about Brian by visiting his website www.BreakIntoBasketball.com. I hope you enjoy the show. And today we want to welcome NBA scout Brian Pauga to the show. Brian, welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. Thanks
1: for having me. Excited to be here.
0: We're excited to have you. You know, we talked just a a little bit before we started recording, and it's always great to have somebody from the scouting side of things with us, because inevitably, that's what we have a lot of students who want to get into. Um, Anytime I ask freshmen, hey, what do you want to do for a living? The number one answer is, I want to be a GM. Right. There's there's only about 30 to 32 available in baseball, basketball, football, and in hockey and what have you. So it's great because with your background, we'll get into it. You you're scouted, you've been a GM, um at some at a really high level. So that's going to be great for our students to learn, but just first just give us an overview what's your background and how did you work your way up to become a, a g-league gm and also a scout um with utah
1: yeah so i when i was in college uh you know i i realized in high school like i wasn't gonna be good enough to play at a high level in college baseball and basketball were my my two sports um so what i ended up doing i was at michigan state university and i went there uh for business management and then uh, actually tried out to be a student manager with the the men's basketball team and ended up getting selected to to be one my freshman year and ended up doing that for four years. And, you know, I realized pretty quickly that you know, I wanted to work in the sport sports world uh, once I got done with college. And, and it was a challenge. I knew it was going to be a challenge, uh, but had some people that I worked with at Michigan State help direct me and kind of give me advice on the types of people to reach out to. And so I was able to, to get some interviews and, and opportunities my senior year. And ultimately, I landed a basketball operations internship with the San Antonio Spurs, which was crazy because they had literally just won the NBA championship like 10 days before I started. Wow! So it it was very lucky there. It was like their fourth title in seven years at the time or something like that. And so I'm starting with the best team in the NBA right out of college. And it was a one year position, got to do a little bit of everything, take notes, pick players up when they came in for workouts and different events. like I said, notes in every kind of meeting that the front office had, uh, organizing our scouting database, just all kinds of odds and ends project, anything I could do to make the GM and the the front office staff's job easier, basically. Honestly, didn't know if I was going to stay after that year. And, you know, someone else left and it ended up opening a spot and ended up staying and then ended up uh, spending nine years in San Antonio, working my way up in different roles and Been in with a couple organizations since, Timberwolves for three and a half, and now the Jazz for about four.
0: Well, I think starting as a student manager, and, and you had the benefit of being in a place like Michigan State, which a lot of our students are going to be excited about being just right across the border here. But, you know, great legacy there with, with Tom Izzo and being a D1 program and sending you guys to the NBA and having some of those connections there. But that's a great place for students to start, you know, as somebody who coached college basketball myself, because you really get involved in in everything. And if you really work hard and hustle, you know, it's been my experience that coaches will continue to add add-on things for you. And, and I'm assuming that must have been your experience. And, and any great, maybe anecdotal Coach Izzo stories you could give us real quick? The first thing on
1: on the role I had at Michigan State, like what, what i learned more than anything was just the attention to detail on things. Everyone sees the glitz and glamour of the games and game night and the excitement around that. And we all enjoy that if we like sports, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes day to day. And being able to be a part of that and have a lot of different roles in in getting to those game nights was was really eye opening. And, and frankly, like it, it's a lot of work on top of me being in school and me being in class. Like like you said, like the the staff can see who they can trust and who they can count on to get things done. And that's, that's the same thing I see in the real world at the three different NBA organizations I've been at, you know, they, they want people they can trust and like people don't want to have to micromanage you. So, you know, that was, that was a big thing. And, you know, the the one coach is a story that I'll give you is one. I think it was my second year I was running the clock during practice and we're in the arena and we're, they're playing some sort of game and, and the, whatever play would happen the a couple of the players messed up the the coverage or something and the other team scored. And so they lost and And coach was a little upset and he said, all right, get on the line uh, down and back in or a suicide or whatever it was in 22 seconds or whatever, mm-hmm. like whatever time it was on there. And the game had literally just ended. So the clock was at zero. So you can't set the shot clock to twenty two and have it run when the clock's at zero. So I had to I had to set both of them. But he went so quick, I didn't get it set till like they were already down one end of the court. So he he was mad at me and, and he <laughs> said, All right, you messed up their running, you get on the line and run a suicide in front of the whole team. So I, I had I had to run a suicide in front of the whole the whole team while they're all clapping for me as I probably very slowly run a, a suicide. <laughs>
0: Well, at least, you know, maybe hopefully it lightened up practice and it showed some buy-in. And, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, again, relying on my coaching experience, you know, everybody has to be on board. Like you you just nailed it. And I'm sure it's the same way in what you're doing right now in Utah and in San Antonio. Everybody has to be tugging on the rope to win because it's so daggone competitive at those high levels.
1: No, absolutely. And then, like, like you said, I mean, what I always say is everyone has to be pushing in the same direction. You know, there's a lot of people involved in the in an NBA organization, uh, from the business side to the basketball side to the coaches to ownership. Like, there's there's a lot of big personalities and and people that have big ideas, but everyone needs to be pushing in the same direction so that we we can all try and reach those common goals. Because if you're at a place where you're trying to one up each other internally, mm-hmm. it's it's just not going to be productive and efficient use of anyone's time.
0: Did you feel like it was a disadvantage for you not being a player in college or or not being a professional player? Or or does that really matter for those students? You know, we're at a D3. They're not going pro, not to break their heart. They're not going to have that opportunity.
1: Look, I mean, when you're around... The higher level you're around and have exposure to, and the bigger the operation, the more you can learn because there's just going to be that many more components. But to me, like, I did not think I had a disadvantage. I mean, look, there's certain guys who play in the NBA and know they want to coach or go in the front office when they're done that can get a job because they they have a lot of experience in the NBA as well. Like, so there is that component but I think it's a misnomer to say, like, you have to have played at a D1 or played in the NBA to really have a chance to work in it. Like, I think it's about getting experience. Like, you you have to give yourself experience in the sports world. Because like I said, it it is a lot of hours. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of things to do on a day-to-day basis that is not for everyone. Like, again, people all like the games, but when you get down to it, like you're going to be gone on, you're going to be working on weekends. You're going to be traveling late at night. You're going to miss holidays. You're going to miss family time uh, if you want to do things right. And you want to advance in the industry. And there's, there's a lot of careers in a lot of different fields that are the same way, but like, that's not for everyone. And I think some people I've seen a lot of people over my 20 years that have just struggled with that time commitment and that kind of eliminates them at some level so to to me it's about organizing what kind of positions you want to apply for and being strategic on how you're going about that because i think i don't think a lot of people really understand how to go about trying to work in the industry and and they don't know who to reach out to they don't know what the hiring process is whether it's job board postings on different roles that are available Mm -hmm. versus things that aren't even posted that are in like internships in front offices are typically not posted on job boards so you're not going to see those unless you're you're being creative on who you're reaching out to
0: and those are things I definitely want to get into as, as we get further into our discussion here today. But you talked about you, you've you been a scout in San Antonio, Minnesota. Now you've been at Utah for the past you know three or four years. Talk to us about the scouting component of it. We can get into GM too, but especially the scouting. And we'll talk about your website. But what are your responsibilities as a scout in the NBA? Yeah,
1: so my responsibilities are basically like to get to know any and all players that are in the draft you know at at san antonio minnesota i was kind of i was doing draft stuff international stuff and pro stuff a little bit more balanced on those three with utah i'm doing much more college draft focused. we have a lot of draft picks uh coming up and you know my job is to know anything and everything about the players both on and off the court that i can basically to help us as an organization make the best decisions possible for us.
0: What does that involve? Are you going to games, watching a lot of film, talking to coaches? I'm assuming it's a combination of, of all three, um, but do you kind of have a home base and, and you're all over the road or, or what's that look like?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually based in the Chicago area, okay. which is uh, pretty centrally located. And so I can I can drive to a lot of places, which helps. But yes, I'm on the road a lot. Like I just got back two hours ago from a game last night okay. and, you know, was gone the last few days. Got another one Saturday and Sunday coming up. So I, I'm on the road probably half the month seeing games. It's a little easier. Like if I go to a game on uh, Wednesday night in at Northwestern, I can be home all day at my house with the family and whatnot. on. then I leave at four 35 o'clock to go to the game and then I drive back after. So like those days help because you're at home a little bit more versus being on a plane and having to travel so to your point like it's a combination of being at games live watching games uh on tv and film and a lot of tape and then you know talking to a lot of people who have been around that player to help us understand kind of what we're getting into with that player when when and if we we bring him into the organization
0: And that's something I wanted to follow up with. You don't have to be specific with the Jazz, but just kind of like maybe a broad overview. When you're scouting players, and maybe the philosophies are different with different teams, but what are you kind of looking for? Like if I wanted to be an NBA scout, what do I need to understand about the game or about like tendencies or things we're looking for in players that are going to be the best fit for, for the home club?
1: yeah i mean and and to your point like every organization is going to be a little different on what types of players they want you know i can't get into some some specifics on what we're looking for but you know for like you got to figure out what your organization values what kind of players you want and people you want and then you're filling in as many gaps in the information as you possibly can, because we're okay. only allowed to spend a limited amount of time with the actual player during a pro- the draft process. So we're, we're relying on relationships and people that we know who have been around each player. And there's a lot of players, so there's a lot of coaches and a lot of staff at these different universities that we're, talking to people and and it's just a process to try and you know get as much information as we can and mm-hmm. whether it be on film or about the person or you know injuries different things analytics and then make the best decision we can from there
0: so kind of the traditional way of scouting maybe up until the last couple decades The eyeball test and talking to coaches and all those things. You just mentioned analytics. How important have analytics become in basketball? Because we know there's been this explosion in baseball since kind of the Sabre metrics were ushered in in the early 2000s. Has basketball caught up to that too?
1: I don't know if it's caught up to baseball, because uh, baseball definitely had a head start on it. But there's been a lot of a big push on the analytic front across the NBA. And and, and to your question, like it, it's very um, important to how we evaluate. Like we're looking at anything we can numbers wise, you know, in terms of how players perform or home road you know top competition versus lower level competition like whatever it might be like there's a ton of different analytical stuff where we're looking at to try and help us uh, evaluate the player you know so it's it goes hand in hand with what with the eye test and and the other things we see and hear about a player
0: so do students need those skills in order to especially let's go to your time as like as GM You know, it seems like, and again, baseball's different, but it seems like you're getting a lot of guys with kind of that analytical background starting to get some of these front office roles. Do they need that for basketball? Is experience a little bit more important, actually experience of the game, or is a little bit of a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of both. Like, you want to be as well-rounded as you can. There's going to be different
1: strengths of each staff member, Mm -hmm. whether it be From the scouting side from the analytics side from the the strategy and cap side uh legal background type side like there's a lot of lawyers who are in front offices now who can understand the salary cap and you know the collective bargaining agreement and all that kind of thing you want to have a blend of all of them at some level you want to be able to to know how to operate in all the spaces in the front office if possible but again, you have to rely on your own personal strength. So to to your question, like it's hard to like for students to just say, like, hey, I'm going to learn analytics by myself, like before mm-hmm. I'm actually working for an organization is it's hard to do that fully until you're integrated in, you can see all the information and all the technology that teams have. I mean, there are public sites that you can go on and, and learn. And, you know, there's even NBA.com, like looking at the different stats and breakdowns they have, like, so you can educate yourself on like the types of things teams are looking at and like the advanced statistics, uh, some of those metrics that are pretty somewhat common across sports sites now for basketball but it's something that you just you want to get some experience like no one's going to expect you to come in as an intern and be an expert at cap or analytics or scouting because you just haven't had that hands-on experience in the real world experience so there's going to be a learning curve on that but like there's there's some pretty reputable sites about the collective bargaining agreement that have information about the rules and like kind of give you a layman's version like of it. So I think that is a those types of sites are good to to see. Larry Kuhn has a great site that kind of gives like the the average NBA fan a somewhat dummy down version taking out mm-hmm. some of the, all the legal verbiage, let's say. So it can give people a better understanding of how trades happen, how players are signed, different, like, and it's a long website if you want to take the time to, to go through it, but it's, it's a much simpler version than the 600, 700 page collective bargaining agreement is. And same with analytics, like there's so much you can delve into, but it's just a question of how deep do you want to go? And then with the scouting side, like to me, like you can always get to know players, like you can never know too many players. Like, Mm. you're always learning from the last player. Like, why did they have success in college, but not in the NBA? Or why did they not play as well in college, but then they're flourishing as an NBA player? Like, there's different circumstances that you got to understand for every player. And you can always learn. Like, just because I've been doing this for 17 years doesn't mean I'm going to get every pick right. Like, everyone's going to get picks wrong and decisions wrong, but you're just trying to get as much information as you can before having to make those decisions and then make the best decision for your franchise from there.
0: So you just talked about getting picks right or getting picks wrong. Like for a scout, and you've done this as a scout and I'm sure maybe as as a GM with with scouts underneath you, how are you guys measured or, you know, when you're evaluated, you know, what is considered wins for you guys and, and losses for you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's somewhat of an arbitrary type of scale but you know it's it's really making sure that like like i said you're not going to get everyone right but i think you're measured on being as prepared as you can like it's easy with the number of sheer volume of players and tape and information out there that you can miss certain things or let certain things fall through the cracks. So as thorough as you can be as an organization and making sure you don't miss something in the Intel or something in the scouting in the film or something in his analytic background, like those are as big as anything. Cause like, again, you're, some of it, you're, you're predicting how a player is going to handle the hardest league in the world. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's some of the players that come in the NBA are going to, fail or face adversity for the first time because they've just been the best player up until that point. And how are they going to deal with that mentally and physically when, when they reach those, those hurdles uh, throughout their career. And those are things that are not easy to predict for anybody. Yep. You know, it's just, you're predicting human behavior and and that's a hard thing to to predict. So it's not an exact science like on draft night that we can just say, Like, you're going to have your evaluations and your rankings, Mm -hmm. but there's just so many variables that go into that that you're going to be guessing at some level that just be as prepared as you can uh, with that information and make educated decisions based on that information at the time.
0: So what have been some of your success stories with players that you've scouted that maybe have gotten drafted high and it's like, hey, that was a home run, or even guys that maybe were off the radar that eventually became pretty solid NBA players?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was in San Antonio, uh, we had a couple pretty good picks in the in the late twenties that you know we identified and they ended up working out. Uh, George Hill was one. Kyle Anderson, oh, wow. Tiago Splitter. Um, so there were, there were some pretty good players that that really helped our team. Uh, but you know, the biggest one for for us was you know a move we made on draft night to trade up for uh, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, you know that was that was a A big pick for our franchise at the time, and it turned into him being a great player who really helped us uh, a lot and be obviously has become a an unbelievable talent. So, you know, it's something that is enjoyable when you when you make a big move and it works.
0: So how do those conversations, or how do those conversations work with the people making the decision? Like I'm assuming it's the maybe the 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 president of the club or um, president of basketball ops, the GM, whoever it's going to be. Like, are, are they just taking all the information that they can and just making the best decision possible, or is it a little bit more kind of structured? conversation process in making picks and trades and things like that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, all, it's, it's all very structured. Like there's, there's a lot of work that goes into to this. I mean, we have meetings all the time about the players in this current draft and, you know, evaluating them and kind of talking about them. Like we don't have to make decisions until the end of June when the draft is, but, you know, we're constantly going through different scenarios and ideas and trade options. Like as a GM, you have so many things coming at you and so many opportunities. And, you know, it, it's just hard to make trades because you got to get everyone on your own team to agree you mm-hmm. know, in, your, in your front office and, and kind of be on the same page. And you got to get another team to agree as well uh, from their end. And, and so just making sure there's 99.9% of trades that are discussed between two different teams don't end up happening. Wow. I mean, it, it just, it takes a lot of t- time and effort. And, and there's so much that goes beyond behind the scenes to get to an actual trade or to a free agent signing or to a draft pick. Like any player that comes in or goes out of the organization, it, it's, it's a long process to get that decision made and, and it's a very structured process to get to that and again like we're not going to get every decision right mm-hmm. but we we have to make the best decision for the organization at the time and then go from there
0: and there's so many external things that play into it I'm sure as well with you know agents and, and just player preferences and and things like that as your time as a gm you know, uh, in in the G League, what would you say are, are the differences with, between that level in in an NBA GM? Like, what are the some of the things you guys are doing? Um, do you have control over the players? Or, or is it just a few the two way guys? How does that? Work? It's
1: changed a lot over the last seventeen years, but now with two way contracts, I mean, you're you're having more player movement from the NBA team to the G League team, so there's there's just more movement and more. More eyes on the G League, frankly. Like, to answer your first question, like, as the GM of the G League team, you're doing the same things that NBA GM does. It's just at a league one level lower. Like, it's the league below the NBA. Like, it's the players going to develop. And the hard part in the G League is two things. Like, one, the players and staff, they all have goals to make the NBA, they want to coach or work in the NBA. And players want to play in the NBA, which which we understand, like we want guys that want to play in the NBA. You want to have goals and to try and get there. But they're in the G League at that time. So you have to get the everyone to buy into like, hey, we're in the G League. We got to work as a group to get ourselves uh, those opportunities. And the more we succeed as a team, the better. And to your point about the two ways and players coming back and forth from the NBA team. Like, they're going to go back and forth. And, you know, some players don't like the G League or they get an opportunity overseas or a player comes back from overseas to the G League. Like, the player movement is a lot more in the G League. And you're Mm -hmm. not going to know your roster from day to day. Like, if you have an injury with the NBA team, all of a sudden one of your two-way guys is going to be with the big club or someone gets called up to another team. And, like, so your team just changes constantly constantly. And so that is very difficult from a mentality standpoint for the, the other players on the team. And if they don't buy in, like some guys might play 30 minutes tonight and then tomorrow night, a player comes from the NBA team and all of a sudden you go down to play in 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and, and, how do you deal how do you still get that player to be as engaged and it's just it's a hard deal because you could be playing great and be playing you're the best player on the team playing 30 35 minutes and then an nba player gets assigned to the team and all of a sudden you're playing 10 and how are you going to deal with that and can you handle a different role like so the the mental aspects of the g league is is very challenging for players and staff as a GM, having to go through and kind of help people through those ups and downs and, and that player movement was a lot more of a learning experience and something you don't get to experience in the NBA because there's not quite as much player transactions day to day. Like you yep. pretty much have your roster, then the trade deadline, like you're going to change certain things, but it's a lot of the same players for much of the season where the G League roster is just constantly churning over. So it's much more of a day-to-day
0: managing. Certainly make things a little more interesting, maybe at at points. But I know we've got a a little bit more time left, so I want to make sure that we talk about you know, not only are you working in scouting, but you're helping students try to get their break. Again, so many want to get into the GM. And I think kind of maybe starting in that coaching scouting and learning what it is that you need to to know about player identification and how to work as part of a bigger team um, on the front office side, and then eventually working your way up. I think that's so important. So tell us a little bit what you're doing, working with students and and about your website, um, Breaking Into Basketball.
1: Obviously, me being a student manager, like I I know firsthand, like how challenging it was to to get to where I'm at. And I know I've gotten lucky as well, but I get the question all the time from students like, hey, I want to get in. Like, what has worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? How should I go about it? What type of position am I good for? Like what types of positions are open? Like those types of questions I get all the time. You know, it's hard for me to to jump on a call with every student that reaches out to me on LinkedIn or texts me or emails me. So what I did, like created a break into basketball on the website, you said at www.breakintobasketball.com. And it's something that I do a, a two hour course one time a month. And, and it's one time thing for people. But, you know, it's a very comprehensive view of what has my journey been what has worked for me secondarily like what does it what does a front office look like what is the composition of this staff like what types of roles would I be a candidate for what does a coaching staff look like how many people are on a coaching staff uh, a G League staff same thing and and then giving a list of types of positions you should be applying for how, when you should go about that what does an interview process look like when should you be reaching out like the types of people you need to be reaching out to, like all those types of things. And then, and obviously there's a lot more crammed into that two hours. And then at the end, I, I stay on as long as I can for any questions that anyone has. And, you know, just answering because everyone's going to have a different understanding of the NBA. Some want to work in college. Some might want to work in other sports. I mean, other sports are very similar too. You just have to be strategic on how you're going about trying to get those positions because they are very competitive. And to what we talked about earlier, like, I don't think it's something where you have to have played or you have to, like, have a certain experience to be able to get these roles. Like, I've worked with a number of D3, D2 people in the NBA, like, and they're great. Like the, the, there's great people at every level. It doesn't matter because you went to Michigan State or you're at a D2 or a D3 or a JUCO, whatever it is, or you're doing something else. You work in high school basketball or AU basketball. Like there's a lot of different opportunities and experiences that can help a front office. And so we're always looking for different types of candidates. But I think it's just an overwhelming process to go about trying to get that role and to get those types of jobs for people and this this course is designed to try and help assist you on understanding ways to be to have a
0: chance to be more successful so that's breakintobasketball.com they also have a, a facebook Twitter, um, Instagram. And then um, Brian, I know you're on um, LinkedIn as well. And you mentioned that. So I'm sure if if students want to follow you, they can follow you up there as well. Um, we got just just about a minute or two left. I did want to ask you one thing, uh, kind of last question. Are these jobs in scouting? Are they posted? Or how, how important is networking and knowing people in the industry?
1: networking is paramount to everything. Like I'm okay. st- I've am i been doing yep. it 20 years and like I'm still trying to meet as many coaches and staff and people at other teams, college level, internet, like anywhere you can get information and get to know people because it's a small, it's a small industry once you're in it and, yep. and you get to know people pretty well. But the networking aspect is big and you have to be willing to put yourself out there to try and meet people, you know, some people you reach out to might not respond, you know, they might not hit your email back or respond to you on LinkedIn or whatever it is. That doesn't mean you need to stop reaching out to other people. All it takes yep. is I always say, and this is this was ingrained in me from someone I worked with in San Antonio, like all it takes is one team or organization to say yes to you. Yep. And if, And if you you just need one team to give you that opportunity, and then you can make the most of it from there. And you don't know who, who, who that one person that might lead you to get to that one spot is.
0: That's Brian Pauga, scout with the Utah Jazz and longtime basketball executive in, in scouting and GM. Um, you can check out breakintobasketball.com. And, and Brian, we really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages for our next guest on January 26th. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also, be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and X at Trine CSS, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.